Does the world hate God? That's the question we're discussing today on the Hero of the Story presented by The Gospel Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of The Hero of the Story, a podcast to help you explore the big story and big truths of Scripture. I'm Aaron Armstrong, and with me is Josh Hayes. Josh, we've got a, a grenade that we just lobbed into our Zoom studio today. Right. Not just God, for God so loved the world, but for the world so hated God. And it really today is an episode where we are, I don't know if the word literally applies here, but we are against the world. It's us against the world today. Well, certainly it feels that way anyway, but, uh, but yes, we are talking about, uh, the world's opposition to God. Um, and in, in that, um, yes, I suppose there certainly is a sense in which it's, uh, just you and me against the world. <laughs> um, but, uh, but here's what we're going to do. And hopefully that is, hopefully that does not include our listeners today. Um, although after Monday's episode, you never know, but, um, <laughs> Um, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about, um, we're going to talk about this, this term of, of the world being opposed to God, what it means. We're going to see where we see this in scripture. We're going to, and we're going to unpack some of the implications of it. Uh, this one is a bit of a, a bit of a struggle for some people, but it's going to be okay. So, uh, so. Here's what we mean when we talk about the world being opposed to God. There are times in Scripture when the word or when the term world refers to more than the physical planet Earth or the collective human population. So it means both of those things, everybody. But in many instances, the term also refers to an active and evil spiritual force that is in direct conflict with God and his kingdom. This evil world force operates under Satan's control, displaying the same self-centeredness and deceit that is found within his character. Christians are called to overcome this world of spiritual evil by faith in the Son of God. So, when we th- when we talk about the 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 world's opposition to God, this is what we really are saying here: is that uh, there are two ways we can go. Um, one is that the term world in the Bible sometimes refers to the totality of evil that opposes God. Another even more simple way to put it is that the world in that sense is the opposite of the kingdom of God. So where God's people submit to God's rule, the people of the world are all in uh, living in opposition to his rule. Yeah, that's a that's a helpful way I think to put it and succinct and get, shows how the two concepts of the world, those who are living at, in opposition to God and enmity with God, uh, are parallel with those who live under God's rule and embrace His good authority in the in the kingdom of God. So there, there's a reason that you have this sort of binary. Uh, categorization of people uh, in, in the Bible. Either you're part of the world and part of the, the, the kingdom of, of Satan, or you're part of the kingdom of God and you're ruling, uh, you're living under his rule um, as the covenant people, 
uh, of God. And we'll, we'll get into that in a future episode where we talk about who the people of God are. And so it's good to see those things uh, talked about in tandem as we're distinguishing what, what precisely the world is in, in reference to, uh, in reference to uh, the people of God and the kingdom of, of God. Yeah. Uh, one thing I guess we want to do is survey some of the places in scripture that contribute to this, to this doctrine. There's a few that you, you might, that our audience might be able to recognize just by how the, the definition for uh, our doctrine here, the world opposed to God uh, was read, but we'll uh, tease out some explicit references and Ephesians two is a good place to start. We've referenced this passage in other podcasts, but the first three verses of chapter two uh, lay out a description of what the reality is that is the world this, this system of evil and opposition set against God and here's how Paul describes the the natural state of humanity uh, after the fall and before uh, anyone come before someone comes to Christ here's how he describes uh, us before Christ before we came to Christ and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world. So key word there, the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath as the others were. So by uh, the others were also to finish the verse. Um, so we see our natural state is to belong to the world rather than the people of God, rather than exist within the, the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God is more of a retrieval and rescue effort to bring people out of this, this world system that's, that's uh, containing them and influencing them. Uh, another useful verse where Jesus gives us some encouragement about this world that we've all been ensnared with within and subject to its to its influence in terms of uh, opposing God is to John 14 30 Jesus says I will not talk with you much longer because the ruler of the world is coming he has no power over me and Jesus knew that he had a higher authority not only than than Satan the ruler of this world but also he was about to defeat him through, through the cross and, and, and the resurrection so we have hope to overcome the world because there's one who already overcame the world and its ruler for us. And Jesus though, gives us sort of our uh, instructions or warnings for our, uh, that go in hand with our uh, marching orders that we should expect resistance and opposition as we uh, live as his disciples in this world. So John 15, 18 through 20 uh, sets us up uh, to see uh, vividly uh, this this dynamic and contrast between the world and the people of God, those who follow Jesus. Jesus says, John 15, verses 8 through 20, 18 through 20, if the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world will love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember, this is Jesus talking to his disciples the, the night that he would be betrayed. And then in verse 20, he says, remember the word I spoke to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. So we should expect to have some kind of similar experience to Jesus. If the world opposed him, the world uh, of unbelief will also oppose us. Uh, another passage that came up when we were talking about First John uh, chapter two last week and defining how world is used in different senses, we'll we'll mention here because it 
really gets at the heart of what the world is biblically in this sense of this system of evil. And that is first John two, 15 through 17. Mm-hmm. Do not love the world or the things in the world. The apostle John writes, if anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride in one's possessions is not from the father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. So this this world, this uh, period of evil uh, within the world, it's not permanent. It is going to pass away because of what God has done in Christ. But we're not to be lured away by the world. We're to know that the world hates us and the world's not, not good for us. And here's how we see worldliness manifest in ourselves, John, John warn, warns there. Um, there's there's several other places we we could we could go to, but for time's sake, we'll skip one one place. I would encourage our readers to or our listeners to go and read would be in Matthew 13. It's a chapter full of full of parables, and that's go read the parable of the wheat and the tares, and then look at Jesus' explanation. He's saying that the that the world is like this field. And, you know, you want to grow wheat, but, but the, and the enemy sows some tares, sows some bad seed within the, within the crops. And Jesus goes on to explain in this parable when his disciples ask him about it, says that the one who sows the good seed is the son of man, and the field is the world, the good seed, these are the children of the kingdom. The weeds, the weeds that grow up, or the tares, as you might hear it called in some of your translations, the weeds are the children of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil and the harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are angels so jesus talks about the context of this intermingling of the good seed and the and then the weeds among the among the wheat is this current age until his return when he sends out his angels to assist him in judging and and judging the world and its people inheriting his kingdom so you have this division between the world and the people of god set as this dynamic of a field with both uh, believers and unbelievers in, in, intermixed, and in some of it won't even the unbelief won't even be exposed until the final judgment. In the case of the case of the weeds that, that are growing up out of uh, out of the midst of the of the wheat. So hopefully, just that survey, those those, those that that those listing of, of passages gives the audience a, a good idea of the the contrast between the the, the world and the, and the kingdom of God. Yeah, in terms of in terms of, in terms of that dynamic. Yeah, yeah. And and this really is something that we do see all throughout scripture. I mean, you see it in a um, you know, even in a uh almost a microcosm if you if you'll forgive the term, um in the interactions between Israel and the surrounding nations as sure, well. Sure. Um that's 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 a way to oh, oh, a visual illustration of that, a real, a real historical illustration of, of, of it in a literal sense, right. the opposition. Yeah. But, um, yeah, even uh, going back to the garden and the promises to, to Adam and Eve, that there will be this offspring that comes from the woman. There's going to be enmity between her seed and the serpent's seed. So you have yep. these two peoples and then it's, it's vividly demonstrated the difference even between brothers within the family of, you know, Cain and Abel, you see this, this illustration of hate that the world has for the, the faithful. So you yep. have that vividly illustrated from very early on in the chapters of the Bible. Yeah. Almost from the beginning. So yep. um, it's like, this is one of those mega themes in scripture. Mm. So <laughs> that, that like all, that. 
Yeah, like that, like that. Hmm. Hmm. All right, so uh, as we seek to understand this doctrine, there's a, few, a couple of things that we should know. Um, one of those is this, that, um, that in trying to understand the world's opposition to God, uh, we should recognize uh, the serious and grave condition that that this this really is this that um, of just how how wrong the world has gone. Um, the you know when we when we look around at creation, we see we we see a, a pretty a pretty amazing place. Right. You know, um, you know that's one of those things that that. Even even though we know um, we know from Scripture that that all of creation has been subject to futility, um, that 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 it is um, that it is affected by sin as well, um, that it is not immune to its effects whatsoever. That um, someone like Louis Armstrong, um, obviously no relation whatsoever, <laughs> didn't um, even think about that. <laughs> Um, he has a much better singing voice than I do. So yeah, you don't want me to do. I don't think the listeners want me to do my impersonation. I'll, I'll, I don't I'll, want you to do your okay, impersonation. Well, I'll hold off on that. Then, though it's hard to resist. Thank you, but I mean, you know, he he could sing. You know, what a wonderful world, and he's right. Um, however, um, we have to we have to hold these these two these two realities in. Uh, like hold these two realities together that, that yes, the, the world that we live in um, in many ways is an incredible and wonderful place. Um, It has not, um, although it is subject to futility, it has not been complete. It has not been destroyed entirely by, by, by sin's presence. Nevertheless, um, the good that we see in it actually should help us to help, should cause us almost to grieve a little bit because of how much better it would be were sin's effects not present at all. Um, the beauty of the world helps us to see the tragedy of the fall. Exactly. And, um, and so, I mean, uh, I, I don't remember where he, where I've, where he had said this, but uh, I think it was R.C. Sproul who said, uh, sin is cosmic treason. Um, it gets passed around a lot these days. Is uh... <laughs> Sproul comments on it that he did, he saw it attributed to him, and I don't even know that he was aware in what book he wrote it, but it, it's in a quote <laughs> book with him. Uh, when, when, he, when, he, when it comes up in his teaching, he'll sometimes share that, that anecdote where he got a book in the mail with a bunch of quotes and he saw that and he got the book because he was someone quoted in this book yep. of quotes and this is one of them yeah that's right that's right so a lot of people have actually said this uh it is not uh it, it is undoubtedly not original to to sprawl although um he has said many wonderful and creative things um but because sin is cosmic treason um that means that sin has cosmic consequences and so we actually need a, a cosmic solution to set the world Right. And so um, that shouldn't surprise us because that sin would have these cosmic consequences, especially considering um, that 
what has happened in the world's opposition to God is, is that creatures have rebelled against their creator. Um, and so because of that, um, the gospel itself, we have to remember that the gospel itself doesn't, isn't, isn't simply or merely, um, although it absolutely is personal in its, um, its implications and its effects and its message, it also is cosmic in its scope. It's both and, and we have to hold both of those together. Yeah, that, that's important to consider too, the, how personal, it's both corporate and personal, the effects of sin and the consequences of the curse that God placed on uh, the creation in response to, to, to sin. He is the one who subjected it in futility with a view toward redeeming it, but nonetheless, he's giving fitting consequences toward human human rebellion uh, against his good rule that would have been good for them, him. So he tur- he takes the chaos that they've created, the disorder that they've caused of, uh, in light of the order that he's established and he's sown disorder into, uh, into uh, humanity's lives. You think about the promised conflict that was going to arise in marriage and that extends to other relationships when when God is speaking to Adam and Eve and laying out the curses, there's going to now be pain and the, the bearing of children and the rearing of children. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be futility and frustration in our work as we have to contend with thorns and thistles. And it's going to be by the sweat of our brow that we uh, get our, get our daily bread. And these are fitting consequences. And it shouldn't surprise us that uh, we live in a world gone wrong, that there is a lot that is messed up because we've rebelled against the good and all-powerful ruler of this world who gave us commands for our good, but we didn't trust him enough and thought we knew better. And we do that every day of our lives. We think that we know better uh, than our our good and uh, perfect creator. Uh, Moving on, I think uh, it'd be good to note the point also that because the world and, and the order that it follows is a is a rebellious system that that's only temper, temporary and it's going to pass away we, we saw that in a passage that we highlighted in first john 2 uh, but this doesn't mean we shouldn't take care of the world of the physical earth uh in the meanwhile so even though this is a temporary era where there's evil and obstacles to to deal with that won't be here after jesus comes back and sets things right to be there even better than what they were before the fall in, in eden uh, we still want to take care of the world. We're still stewards. Our calling as human beings to be image bearers, to uh, rule and subdue the earth, to be fruitful, multiply, that's still in existence. It's still an operation. We do it without even thinking about it. Everybody finds things to do for the most part that has something constructive that gives them purpose in life, that gives mm-hmm. them uh, some sort of function, u- utility in society. We're, we we can't run away from this this tendency because it's it's implanted in us by by god and being made in his image that he's a creator and cultivator so he makes uh, us in his image to be creators and cultivators on on a lower finite level than what he well he does so this is what's called by theologians the cultural mandate this multiplying cultivating subduing the earth and it still applies even after the fall so we don't want to when we call the world evil and say that it's this opposing force against god and that that's 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 right and accurate that does exist in the world as part of the world system given the fall nonetheless there is still goodness in the world it's tainted it's corrupted the the creation has been corrupted by by human sin but 
there god's still per, god's good purposes still abide it doesn't have its original full goodness that adam and eve knew briefly yeah. uh, and it's not attained that full perfected glory that it will once jesus comes and succeeds where adam and the rest of us uh failed but uh, god's purpose in redemption the good news is is that that's going to continue on his purposes of creation or that it already does continue that so redemption and salvation they're in harmony with god's original intent for creation which is where there would be a perfected kingdom where humanity lived and ruled under God in communion with him as the glorious triune God. And we uh, embraced our role in being uh, in submission to him and his good rule because we recognize that it's good for us. That's going to be what life is like in the, in the age to come. So we, we hold out the hope of that, but also in the meanwhile, we work in our daily lives with a view toward that, that that the way that things are now with the strife and futility that we face aren't the way they'll always aren't, aren't the way they always will be yeah yeah um so as we think about this doctrine um and the differences it should make um because we we do have to recognize that what we're talking about here this this truly is, this is a doctrine. It is, it is part of our doctrine of sin um, as a whole category. Um, it also helps us to, it's also part of our doctrine of the world itself, <laughs> um, right, too. Right. This fundamental opposite, this opposition to uh, our creator. Um, there, are f- there are a couple of things that we have to understand about it um, and how, how it makes a difference, how understanding it does make a difference to us. Um, so as we, as we roll toward our conclusion, um, how about you kick us off, Josh? Sure. And tell us why the song We Are the World is, is a problem. Yeah, it wouldn't be, we wouldn't be, we wouldn't be doing this podcast justice if we didn't reference that. I think it came out in the late eighties, right? We are the world. Yes. Celebrity singing and it's to bring about world. Was that Band-Aid? I think it was. Is that what it was called? I think so. Let me find I, out. I, I was only aware of it retrospectively, like once I started observing pop culture in a self-aware way in the '90s as a kid. Uh, people would reference this song, and you know, it had the popular artists at the time, like Paula Abdul, Michael Jackson, Stevie Wonder. I just remember seeing all those different celebrities, uh, not just singers, but even just other celebrities. Uh, Bruce Springsteen, I think, was involved. Yes, USA for Africa in 1985, and it was written by Michael Jackson and Lionel Richie. Oh, wow. So those are are, uh, notorious names in the the pop game of of that, that era. Uh, yep. Wow. So I didn't know the rabbit trail we would get on for me, for me, uh, and, and mentioning that we should, we should talk about this song, but, uh, to quote the song, we are the world and this isn't the way they intended it by the way. So I'm respecting authorial intent just to have a fun pun, uh, in the podcast. Each of us has been part of the world. So as the song says, we are the world, we're, we're part of the human problem. We need to acknowledge that sin and rebellion against God. That's us. We contribute to the problem. We've all been a part of the world. Like, Paul described when we were dead in our sins and trespasses and subject to the prince and ruler of the air. That's all been us. Alexander Sultan Hennison, which I, it's always hard to pronounce Russian names. Are Solzhenitsyn. 
Solzhenitsyn. Almost got it. I think I almost got it. I actually, it's 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 like a certain certain person that we used to work with and his last name. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. that guy. Yeah, what yeah, happened? that guy. The Alexander Solzhenitsyn. So I can do his name some kind of justice before <laughs> I read this quote. But I think this uh, this quote applies greatly to understanding our own role and responsibility contributing to the 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 chagrin, the downfall uh, of the world. And he says, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them so that'd be an easy way to take care of evil just separate it from the good people and it's gone but no he goes on and realizes the problem's more complex than this but the but the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being that's a famous quote you'll probably hear if you don't hear the whole quote here and who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart so that's where (laughs) That's where the angst, that's where it's hard to let go of all the evil. Because if you say, well, why, why can't God just get rid of all the evil in the world in a day? Well, that would mean he destroys you too. Are, are, yeah. are you ready for that? Uh, I think there's a Lecrae song that, that references that. If God gets rid of all the evil, that includes you too. And uh, and so that that's not what people want when they're really sending evil. But people aren't recognizing that they're, they are part of the problem. They need to be redeemed along with the rest of the world. So it's not just the problems out there. There are problems out there, but all the problems out there are really a manifestation of what's wrong with this from from the inside. The problem is in here. And so then then there's this whole cycle that where they feed into one another, where society is evil because people are evil, but then evil societies perpetuate oppressed people and continue corruption. So there's a a cycle. It's not completely linear in terms of cause and effect. Yeah. Exactly. Um, another thing that that uh, we need to take away from this from this is um, that embracing the Bible's teaching about the world uh, teaches us ultimately that there is no such thing as religious neutrality. Right. Um, and so, um, generally speaking, I am not a fan of uh, either ors. Um, and so where, where you have an A and a B and you don't have any other, any other choice, um, in a lot of, in a, in a lot of life, um, there, there are not, it's, things are not quite that arbitrary. Mm -hmm. This is one of those times where unfortunately it is, um, as much as we don't want it to be from a not feeling very nice perspective, um, when it comes to when it comes to God and mm-hmm. our our allegiance to Him um, or not, there's no there's no Switzerland, right? So theologically speaking, not geographically, but yes, theologically. theologically speaking, there's no Switzerland. Geographically speaking, God created Switzerland, but um, or inspired its creation. Sure, sure. He 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 built the land that eventually got you know, got named off. Switzerland. Yeah. So so technically, he created that too. So there we go. Um, but we had uh, but so we we have to look at this. And we do have to recognize that that if if the defaults are or if you have if basically if if you have to like yeah so basically we need to we need to recognize that as as uncomfortable as it makes us that there are really there truly are only two options here is, is that human beings are either 
um, either with God and his kingdom or they are in opposition to it. And there is not a, and there's not sitting on a sideline waiting, waiting to find out. You can be a, you can be passively against it and still be against it, um, but you're still against it. (laughs) Um, But you can't be passively for it either. Mm -hmm. You're either actively for it or you're against it in some way. Right. As Jesus said as much in the, in the gospels, he's not with me is against me. Yeah. So that can sound very absolutist and it is absolutist in the proper way of being absolutes that there are absolutists because there are absolutes, not all absolutes are equal, but when it comes to whether we are finding our elite, we are pledging our allegiance to God or to something else Mm -hmm. uh, is the world by default. Uh, there are absolutes and that's a fundamental absolute because that's the difference between faithfulness and idolatry. Yes. Yes. All right. So uh, how about you wrap us up? Yeah. Well, this feeds into something I was mentioning earlier about kind of the way that society and individuals uh, relate to one another. They're both infected and corroded by sin. So there's a, there's a back and forth a reciprocal sort of relationship there, but embracing the Bible's teaching about the world being opposed to God, that that uh, informs us. It helps us see that that sin is pervasive, and it and it manifests itself both in, in human rebellion, both in terms of individual expression, but also at the institutional level. So it's not just that society alone makes bad people, or bad people make bad societies. As I, as, as I was I was saying, it's it's more complicated and, and convoluted in that it's given the fall has happened and now people are infected with sin the curses at, at play people are corrupt by nature and so are the societies and institutions that they build now it doesn't mean all institutions are equally bad or equally as bad and there's nothing that we can do to mitigate effects of the fall that some institutions have more integrity than others and are healthy environments for people to flourish that's true that happens mm-hmm. but sin nonetheless is there on some level it's just how much is it? How pervasive is it? People do things to harm themselves and others because of their inherent worldliness. That's our default position. Disposition is it's selfishness. We talked about in the sin is selfishness episode of, uh, a couple of weeks ago. And so when we have this, this uh, selfish possessive bent, as it were, uh, we act as if there's no higher authority or purpose beyond ourselves, whether that's on an individual level or that can happen at an institutional level. It can happen at the civil government level, for instance. So institutions that, that have this bent toward uh, toward power and self-rule, they're going to reflect this this selfish tendency. They're going to embody this this way of of worldliness. So just as every person on some level at some point is tempted to consider himself or herself as the measure of all things, the ancient Greeks for those who disregarded sort of the realm of the gods and the supernatural, they would, had a saying saying that man is the measure of all things. Well, sometimes we think we on a personal individual level are the measure of all things, but institutions can also think that there's no higher authority and that the, the institution itself is the measure uh, of all things. So we, having this understanding of the world and how it contains everything in it that acts against God and his good rule and purposes uh, that helps us under have this holistic understanding of human life, both on the individual level, but also on a corporate and institutional level. But the gospel, yeah. nonetheless, can make the difference, and that's that's the good news that the Holy Spirit's regenerating power 
his sanctifying influence in the sphere of people's lives that, that affects and changes not only individuals for the better, but can also affect institutions for the better when there's Christians around, or at least people who uh, have a positive, friendly disposition toward the truth of the gospel, embrace what it means for people to be in the image of God, even if they don't know it fully or they, they aren't articulated that way. There, there's yeah. a, there can be a uh, sort of a pervasive uh, influence of, of the gospel at work in culture and in, in society and in, in institutions. And so it's not, it doesn't bring them to a place of total redemption and restoration as if there is no sin infecting them. Uh, that, that awaits the new heavens and new earth, but it nonetheless makes them better places to exist as humans and humans cooperate and flourish uh, better together, together. But no matter how good the institution is or how bad society might be, we long for the day uh, that John describes in the, in the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 11, verse 15 is, is uh, quite encouraging on this point in terms of its description of what's going to happen. Uh, when Jesus returns, it's in, it's in the uh, framework of the, the, of the, these seven trumpets were different aspects, different judgments in God's plan come about. Well, the seventh is seen to be in this vision of John within Revelation is the culminating trumpet when God's purposes come to a, a completion. And here's what John writes in chapter 11, verse 15 of the book of Revelation. The seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And that's that's the hope we have. That's what we look for as Christians. That's the only hope all humanity has. And that's why we utter with John, as he says in the, the one of the last uh, verses of the Bible, amen, come Lord Jesus. So I, I can't think of any way to end talking about the world as, as opposition to God and how it's going to be overcome and what that's going to look like than to, than to mention those, those uh, parts of Revelation. Yeah, man, that is a good note for us to end on. Um, so Josh, thanks for uh, talking about this doctrine with me and thank you all for listening to today's episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please do leave a sin Seer five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen to the show. And for more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel, please visit gospelproject.com.